like to welcome uh, those who are just joining us. Uh, this is the sermon part of our series uh, of our worship service here at City Temple. If you'd like to join us for the whole thing via Zoom, just drop us an email there on your screen, uh, or you can come in person. We meet each Sunday here at City Temple uh, beginning at 11 o'clock. If you have your Bible with you, let's turn to four places again this week, uh, to Proverbs chapter 1, then to Isaiah uh, chapter 26 and chapter 33, and then finally to Matthew chapter 14. And before we read, let's pray. Gracious God, thank you again that we can come to the Bible and know that it is trustworthy and true and that you speak to it through it by your Holy Spirit to us as you have spoken it in times past. And we thank you for that. And we pray, Lord, that you'd speak to our hearts today in the power of your Holy Spirit and let your Spirit rest upon me. Uh, keep my voice strong uh, that I might bring your word to your people today boldly and faithfully through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. We pick up in Proverbs chapter 1 with verse 20. Wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the markets, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. How long, O oh simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. Because I have called you, uh, called and you refuse to listen, and have stretched out my hand and no one is heeded, because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you, when terror strikes you like a storm, and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you. Then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me. Because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, would have none of my counsel and despised all my reproof, therefore they shall eat the fruit of their ways and have their fill of their own devices. For the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. Then over to Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 26, starting with verse 1. In that day this song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. He sets up salvation as walls and bulwarks. Open the gates that the righteous nation that keeps faith may enter. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts you. Trust in the Lord forever. For our God, the Lord our God, is an everlasting rock. For he has humbled the inhabitants of the height, the lofty city. He lays it low, lays it low to the ground, casts it to the dust. The foot tramples it, the feet of the poor, the steps of the needy. The path of the righteous is level, 
you make level the way of the righteous. In the path of your judgments, O Lord, we wait for you. Your name and remembrance are the desire of our soul. My soul yearns for you in the night. My spirit within me earnestly seeks you. For when your judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world learn righteousness. And then to Isaiah chapter 33, just verses 5 and 6. The Lord is exalted, for he dwells on high. He will fill Zion with justice and righteousness, and he will be the stability of your times, abundance of salvation, wisdom, and knowledge. The fear of the Lord is Zion's treasure. And then finally, to Matthew chapter 14, very famous passage, starting with verse 22. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up to the mountain on the mountain by himself to pray. But when evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it's a ghost, and they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I. Don't be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. May God bless to us these readings from his holy word. Hallelujah. Well, on 11 September, while the rest of the world was remembering the tragedy of uh, 9-11 and the, the Twin Towers disaster, uh, the, the people of Todoki just went about their business as normal. And as they were going about their business on that day, they noticed some earthquakes, just some little rumbling in the ground. And you know, they didn't think much about it. You know, After all, the, the island that they lived on is subject, is prone to a few earthquakes every now and then. And... Uh, you know, you get used to it after a while. And so they just continued about their lives, you know, walking the same streets that they'd walked for the last 20 years or so, uh, shopping in the same shop, going to the same jobs, until the 19th of September, when suddenly a crack appeared in the ground. And lava began to flow. And the people of Todoki on the island of La Palma, suddenly had to evacuate their homes. And when within days, almost all of their village had been engulfed in a stream of lava. 
It's not the only kind of thing that's happened around the world, obviously, over the last couple of years. In fact, you look at the last couple of years, and there are a lot of things that have gone on, from the, the COVID pandemic to the continuing crisis in Syria to the coup in Myanmar, which we continue to pray that God will bring a shift there, to shift in the economy to all the things that have been happening in China, uh, to what's been happening with our government, uh, to the tragic uh, murder of the godly MP David Amos just a week ago, a man who stood up for life and stood up for the cross of Christ and his work as an MP. We look around us, we see all this stuff happening, and we can say that we live in tumultuous times. And you never know if those same ground that you've walked for years and years of your life will suddenly be subject to an earthquake or perhaps a volcano opening up and pouring forth lava or perhaps a coup. You just never can tell. You don't know what is going to happen. But there's been a shift over the last couple of years because this has really been true for all of our lives. We've lived a lot with maybe an illusion that things were stable, that things were okay, that things were calm, but actually it's only been an illusion because there's been tumultuous times throughout history. In fact, every time throughout history for somebody has been rather tumultuous. But there's been a bit of a shift, particularly in our culture. You can see it in American culture as well, a shift for this desire for safety and security. Now, health and safety over the last couple of decades have become like a mantra in our society here in the United Kingdom. We want health, we want safety, we want security. Safeguarding, which is very important, has been shown to be important time after time after time, has become so important and so vital that in the minds of some people it trumps everything. Health and safety, security. Nobody wants to take risks. And it's really infiltrated our culture, this desire, this longing, this drive for a sense of stability. As I was praying through this message, I get uh, an email from time to time from uh, a man in the United States named Jared Dillian, who is uh, an investment advisor. Uh, and so I find his writings rather interesting and entertaining from time to time. And so I was reading one of, his, one of the things he said, and it really struck me in the context of all this. Let me quote from the letter. Of course, the pandemic uh, shifted these cultural attitudes, this attitude towards safety and security, even further. We are completely unwilling to accept bad outcomes of any sort. In one sense, it is a fear of failure, but it is bigger than that. It is also an expression of omnipotence, that somehow we actually have the power to control our environment, to prevent anything bad from happening ever again. The desire for safety, the woke ideology, risk-taking, it is all connected. Nobody wants to feel unsafe, and this will continue until we allow the world to get a little more dangerous.
Interesting quote. But that captures, in one sense, the spirit of the age around us. People are longing for a sense of safety. They're longing for security. They're longing for a stability that, frankly, they will never get. They're looking for stability, and so some people look for it in wealth. They try to accumulate a lot of money, invest in stocks, thinking if I have enough wealth, then I'll have that stability. For some people, it's relationships, having the right spouse, or it's been very popular the last couple of decades for people to have children because they say, well, at least this child has to love me, and so I'll have some stability in my relationship. Or we look for it in the government, and that's probably one of the silliest places to look for it. But a lot of people are looking for stability, safety, security in the government. Or they look to it for their jobs. You know, thinking that if I have the right job, I'll have stability. Or in the economy. Or just in the world and in a lot of places that, you know, the geopolitical uh, context, the climate change context, that somehow we can work it, we can do it, we can bring about the stability, the safety, the security that we desire. And it is a lie. We will never have that kind of stability, at least from a non-Christian perspective. And this is where, as Christians, we have such an incredible advantage to the people who are not Christians. This is where, as Christians, we can have such a confidence in the way that we live our lives. This is where, as Christians, who know that we have been saved by grace through faith, who know that we are loved by God, who know that we've been adopted as sons of God, as children of our Heavenly Father, and sons, by the way, includes men and women, Whereas Christians, we have a leg up, we have an advantage if we will receive it and if we will live it out by faith. But the sad thing is that I would imagine that a majority of Christians that I have met in the world at large don't live out of this stability. They don't have a stability in tumultuous times, the stability that we all crave that we all long for. When they could have it, they could live it, if only they would accept it, if they would receive it by faith and live it out. And these passages today talk to us a bit about this stability. They show us the nature of this stability, what it's all about, the focus of it, and the conditions for having it. First, we turn to uh, there in Isaiah chapter 33. I love this. Isaiah says here, he's exalting the Lord. And he says, the Lord will be the stability of your times. This is the key. The Lord will be the stability of our times. Now notice here. Your times are not stable. The Bible does not promise stability. It does not promise safety or security. 
In fact, if we really understood who God was, if we really understood His greatness, His power, His glory, we would understand how unsafe God really is. You know, I've kind of chuckled sometimes when I listen to a lot of contemporary worship music and the things that they say about God. And I kind of think, well, haven't you folks ever really read the Bible? God is not safe. God is ferocious. God is almighty. But thankfully, God is good. Right? And he doesn't change. That's the other cool thing. Now, that's why you can approach God, because he doesn't change. You know, just imagine if you're dealing with an outlet, and every time you approach the outlet, you don't know, is the outlet going to pour out 120 volt, 240 volt, or 2010 volt? If it pours out 2010 volt, you die. But you don't know. How many times are you going to plug something into that outlet? And yet, God is very unpredictable that way. So we must understand that our times are not stable. Our world is not stable. God didn't make the world to be stable. You know, we look at things like volcanoes. Do you know that our planet needs to have volcanoes. You know what will happen to our planet if it didn't have volcanoes? It would explode. Now, I don't know about you. I would rather live on a planet with volcanoes than a planet that explodes. So the idea that our times can be stable, our government will be stable, our lives will be stable, our families will be stable, our jobs will be stable. It's a lie. It is not true. That kind of stability is an illusion. But in the midst of all of that, Isaiah is saying here, there is one person who is stable, and that's God. And God will be the stability of our times. And Isaiah is speaking to God's people. He's not saying God is the stability of everybody's times. He's saying God is the stability of your times. Of your times. God is the stability. God is the stability. Now, how, how is that possible? Well, Isaiah says, you know, look here what he says. He says, the Lord is exalted for he dwells on high. In other words, Isaiah is saying that God is transcendent. God is almighty. God dwells on high. He's the creator of the universe. And he also promises here that this transcendent God is the God who will bring justice and righteousness. Do you know that's a promise? It's a promise in our world that's filled with injustice and unrighteousness that God will bring justice and righteousness. And we live with that promise. Because God can do it. God's transcendent. Also, according to Isaiah here, God is a God of abundance. He can be the stability of our time because God is a God of abundance. But notice, 
He's not a God of abundant wealth. That's not the promise. The promise here that God is a God of abundance. Abundant salvation. What's salvation? It's about wholeness. It's not only the forgiveness of our sins, but being whole, being the people that God has created us to be. He's a God of abundance, abundant wisdom, and wisdom is about how to live life. God knows how we should live our lives because God designed our lives, and He's a God of abundant knowledge. And knowledge is the right information and discernment about the world. And whether you have the right information, the right perspective on the world or not, makes all the difference. Makes all the difference. And you receive these in the fear of the Lord. You receive these when you know that God is transcendent. When you recognize that God is not safe, but God is good. So God, for those who believe, for those who follow Jesus Christ, God is the stability of our times. But, according to the scriptures we read, this stability, God being the stability of your times, has two conditions to it. In other words, if you refuse to meet these conditions, you will not experience God as the stability of your times. There are two conditions. Condition number one, trust in the Lord as your everlasting rock. Now, a lot of times we trust in the Lord as our Savior, and that's good. We should. He has saved us. He has redeemed us. We can trust in the Lord for His goodness. That's good. But Isaiah here is telling us to trust in the Lord because He is our rock. He is our foundation. The promise here is if you trust in the Lord and you build your life on the Lord, then He will be the stability of your times. This goes back to what Isaiah was saying there in chapter 26. You trust in the Lord. You put your faith in God as your rock. That means you can't be trusting in your money to be your rock. You can't be trusting in your job for your stability. You can't be trusting in your relationships for your stability. You have to trust in the Lord as your everlasting rock. Now, how do we do that? How do we do that? He says here in verse 3, Stay your mind on the Lord until you experience God's peace. Stay your mind on the Lord. Focus steadfastly on God until you come to a place of peace. I love the story with Peter. I mean, Peter's such a classic example of this. They're out on the, out on the lake, and the wind is against them. The waves are coming up. Apparently, storms on the Sea of Galilee can be a little daunting. And here comes Jesus in the middle of the night. It's about 3 o'clock in the morning or so. He's walking on the water. And they're like, what's happening here? And, uh, and Jesus says, hey, guys, don't sweat it. It's me. And they're saying, no way. It can't be me. <laughs> you, know, you can't be Jesus. And, uh, and Peter, of course, <laughs> he's Peter. 
He says, okay, if it's you, command me to come out on the boat and walk on the water and come get you. And he says, okay, come. And so Peter, he gets out of the boat. And I don't think Peter jumped gingerly out of the boat. You know, I don't think it was like, oh, well, am I going to get... Knowing Peter, I think the guy just jumped. I mean, he just leapt uh, full feet. I'd, I'd, I'd give you an example, but I think I'd probably fall and hurt myself. But he just jumped out on the water, and there he was. He's walking along the water, and he's looking at Jesus, and he's walking to Jesus. And it's like, hey, this is pretty cool. And he's walking along. But what happened? He started to take his eyes off Jesus and started focus on the wind and the waves. And as soon as he focused on the wind and the waves, he realized that walking on water is not a very stable thing. And he started to think, Lord, help me. And Jesus, oh gosh, oh, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? You were doing so good. And then they got up into the boat. And that's the idea here. Stay your mind. Steadfastly focus on the Lord until you experience God's peace. That doesn't mean that the situation around you will be peaceful. A lot of people, they want to focus on the Lord until their situation gets peaceful. They say, I'm going to trust you, God, in the middle of the storm. Now quiet the storm. But sometimes God doesn't do that. He just says, keep your eyes on me because I will be the stability of your times, not your circumstances. And then we stay our mind on the Lord. Then according to Isaiah here, verse 7, we need to pursue righteousness. We go after right relationship with the people around us. It's a way that we show that we're trusting in the Lord. You can't be really trusting in the Lord if you're out of right relationship. And then you, verse 8, you wait for the Lord. You desire what honors God in your life above all else. And that's, Lord, I'm going to wait for you. I don't like it. I don't like waiting. I don't know anybody that really likes waiting. But you wait on the Lord. You're praying. You're calling out to Him. You're keeping your eye focused on Him in the midst of the tumult around you. And you wait on Him. And you say, God, I really want what's going to honor you. I really want what's going to bring you the most glory. And you earnestly, verse 9, earnestly seek the Lord. You seek after his ways. You seek after what he wants to do. You seek after his wisdom. And so condition one is that you trust in the Lord as your everlasting rock. And he is the one who will not fail you. He is your rock. Then there's condition number two. Condition number two, if you want to experience the Lord as the stability of your times, which is the only stability you're going to get, condition number two is you have to live by God's wisdom. Live by God's wisdom. And this is a problem for a lot of people, especially Christians. I think the dominant attitude that I see amongst a lot of Christians in the world is, thank you, God, for saving me. Now I'm going to live my life. Thank you, God, for saving me. Now I'm going to go after what I really want. 
And surely, God, you really want to give me what I really want. That's not God's wisdom. That's why so many Christians shipwreck their faith. That's why so many Christians never fully live into their potential in the Lord. We have to live by God's wisdom. Now to do that, we have to reject the lie that God's wisdom is hidden. And this is another pet peeve of mine. Uh, in you know, So often, I've, there's a lot of things, golly. You get it on YouTube, you get it on the various te- tele- Christian television channels and the like, you know, people with this attitude. I'm talking about Christian teachers with this attitude of, well, I'm going to give you the hidden wisdom of God's Word. You know, and the hidden wisdom is going to come through some numbers. Or the hidden wisdom is when you record Hebrew, which, you know, is written, we write left to right, Hebrew is written right to left. So you record Hebrew and then play it backwards. And then you'll get the hidden wisdom of God. Now, nobody said that, because that would be stupid. I hope nobody said that. I don't know. But there's, there's so much of that. Or this, you know, I'm going to give you the secret to this special thing of God. And I could use a few examples, but I won't, because we don't routinely here at City Temple talk down other ministries. But, but I'll give you the hidden secret of this mystery of God's wisdom if you'll just buy my book for 1995 and this lovely DVD series or download. Now, nobody does DVDs anymore. I, I tell you, I'm a 20th century guy. Uh, you know, you just download my thing and I'll give you this code to do this. And all of this, and let me tell you, that's not biblical. It simply is not biblical. Yes, there are some things that God makes you work for. That's why God tells you repeatedly, earnestly seek him. Because he's not going to throw his pearls before swine. Jesus said we shouldn't do that either. You know, some people need to really yearn after something. They really need to desire it. They need to go after it. Because if they don't, they won't get it. Or if they do get it, but they don't earnestly desire it, they won't take care of it. And then they'll lose it. And there's lots of scriptures about that. But the truth is that wisdom, God's wisdom, is not hidden. God's wisdom is not disguised. God's wisdom is plain for people who will seek after it and who will listen to it. And that is what uh, Solomon is saying here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And the passage from Proverbs chapter 1 is wisdom. And notice how wisdom is crying out in the streets. Wisdom is calling out in the marketplaces. That's the workplace. Wisdom is calling out at the city gates. That's the places of influence in the city. In other words, in every area of life, God's wisdom is there to be found God's wisdom is plain. God's wisdom is discoverable. God's wisdom calls out. The problem is a lot of people don't follow it. Let me give you an example. 
Right now, our economy is based on debt. Not only our economy, but every major economy in the world only functions by debt. Most companies only function by debt. And many people are only functioning by debt. I've said that many times here, that we should strive to get out completely of consumer debt. Now, most of us in this culture and this country will have to have debt if we're going to own a house. But for things like buying clothes and stuff like that, we need to get out of debt. Now, why would we do that? Where's the wisdom in that, especially when everybody in the world is doing it? But the scripture says, Proverbs 22, 7, the rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is the slave of the lender. You are a slave to whomever loans you money. And so you better be sure it's somebody that's decent if you're going to borrow something. That makes sense. Wisdom is there. Wisdom is plain to be seen. And let me tell you, the day will come in our economy when there will be a serious global reckoning because of debt. And it's coming. And you need to pray for how you'll protect yourself and your family and avoid the worst consequences of it, although everybody's going to experience it. Now, why don't people listen to wisdom? I mean, if it's there and it's plain for people to hear, why aren't people following it? Why aren't people listening to it? And there's a number of reasons that, uh, that wisdom here herself points out. And by the way, wisdom in this passage uh, is personified as a woman. You know, so just so you understand. So wisdom herself, she points this out. Why is that? Because, verse 22, people delight in their own minds and their own thought processes. Everybody thinks they're right. Everybody thinks that they know the right way, that they understand what's going on. It happens. Everybody does. And especially, especially when they are simple, Scoffers are fools. If you find somebody who really is confident that they know that they know that they know what they know, you're probably talking to somebody who is simple, that means not very intelligent, or as a scoffer, that means that they're kind of critical of everybody else. And there's lots of scoffers. There's lots of scoffers in Christianity. And, I, you know, be afraid if you're a scoffer. Because the Bible says some very hard things about scoffers. A lot of what happens online, on the internet, on Twitter, is scoffing biblically. And God takes a dim view of it. And the Bible says, well, if you're, if you're a scoffer, you're not going to live by wisdom. Or you're just a fool. You know, And a fool is somebody who knows what they're supposed to do, but then doesn't do it. Yeah, I knew I wasn't supposed to walk out in front of that bus. You know, but I thought, man, I've never walked out in front of a bus. I think I'll try and see what happens. That's what the Bible calls foolishness. And another reason that people don't listen to wisdom, verse 23, is that people don't like to have reproof. People don't like to be corrected. I've discovered that. I mean, it's funny. Nobody, even if they know they're wrong, they don't like to be told they're wrong. 
You know, if I'm wrong, I want people to tell me that I'm wrong. But so many times people don't. And so they don't follow wisdom. They don't listen to wisdom. And another reason is that people don't expect calamity, terror, distress, or anguish to happen to them, especially if they're Christians. They think, oh, well, you know, God's going to protect me. I can just do whatever I want to do, live however I want to live. It doesn't really matter if I live by God's wisdom. I can just go on because, you know, nothing bad's ever going to happen to me. I won't have calamity, terror, distress, or anguish. Excuse me. And, uh, and they go on, and then it happens. And it happens because of something they did to themselves. And then what do they do? They blame God. They say, God, how can you let this happen? I'm going to leave the church. I'm going to leave my faith because uh, you, you did this. This happened to me. And if they just read the Bible, it's exactly what God told them was going to happen. Don't blame God. Don't blame God. If you're living your own way and you're not expecting something bad happens when something bad happens to you because you've refused to listen. And the consequences are very clear here according to wisdom if you refuse to listen. Verses 29 to 31, you will eat the fruit of your way and have the fill of your own devices. This means that most of the time if you're not following, if you're not living by wisdom, and by the way, again, if you're not living by wisdom, God is not the stability of your times. But many times the consequences that people experience are simply the fruit of what they've done. You know, so the person doesn't live within their means, they max out their credit cards, they live by debt, and one day they lose their job, and they lose their ability to pay, and they lose their home, and they lose everything else. And they cry, God, God, how can you let this happen to me? And God says, I told you, the borrower is a slave to the lender. If you live this way, bad things will happen. And people, many times, the stuff that people, Christians I'm talking about here, the stuff that Christians complain and criticize God for are things of their own making because they refuse to listen to wisdom. And, verse 32a, your life is ultimately taken away. That's another consequence by turning away from wisdom. Now, in some cases, it might mean that you die, but actually, I think for most of the time, your life being taken away means that you lose the joy, the vitality, the dynamism, the, the blessings that you want to experience in your life because you refuse to listen to wisdom. And ultimately, if you refuse to listen to wisdom, verse 32b, your complacency will destroy you. That refusal will bring destruction. So not only does refusing to live by wisdom mean that God is not really the stability of your time, but it also will bring instability and destruction and negative consequences into your life. Now, of course, wisdom wisely tells us the good stuff after telling us the bad stuff, and wisdom says, hey, if you live by wisdom, you will dwell 
secure, verse 33a. Now again, that doesn't mean that bad things won't happen. But it means that you can live with a sense of security. You know, I'm not afraid of getting COVID again. Now I'm trying to be wise, but I'm not afraid because my security doesn't come from my health moment by moment. My security comes from the Lord. So I don't live in fear. I dwell secure. And I try to live by wisdom. He also says, she also says, verse 33b, that you will be at ease without anxiety about bad things happening to you. When you're living by wisdom, you don't live in anxiety. Let me tell you, bad things still happen. Difficult times still come. That's promised. Volcanoes will still erupt. Earthquakes will still happen. Storms will still uh, 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 blow. Uh, Governments will still fail. Uh, Lots of bad things can happen in this world. But those who are living by wisdom, meeting that condition, know that they dwell secure. They can dwell in a place free of anxiety because God is the stability of their times. He will be the stability of your time. So as Christians, we can live in this reality. As Christians, we have this promise that as people who are followers of Jesus Christ, who have been saved by grace through faith, that God will be himself the stability of our time as we trust in him, as we live by his wisdom. And the great news about all of this, the great news about all of this is that this trusting in God, this living by his wisdom, you don't have to do it in your own strength. God has given us his Holy Spirit. God's wisdom, in essence, lives inside of us by the Spirit of God through Jesus Christ. God's Holy Spirit empowers us to live. God's Holy Spirit leads us as we live. And we're saved by God's grace. God's grace is over us. It's all around us. So when you make a mistake, as you will certainly make a mistake, God's grace is there to pick you up and keep you going as your mind is stayed on him, as you're living by his wisdom. He is and will continue to be the stability of our times through Jesus Christ. Let us trust him together. Let's pray. Lord God, you're so wonderful and amazing and beautiful. And I pray, Father, that you would help us. Help us to live in this reality that you are and will be the stability of our time. Lord, we know our times are not stable, but we know that you are stable. And we trust you. <laughs> Establish in us, in us in a greater and greater measure this week. For we pray all this through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Let's join in singing a great 
closing song.